West Wolves, good morning. Thank you for being here. It is just good to see everybody. Palm Sunday. Hey, um, if, uh, if you haven't been here, we've been, as we head toward Easter, going through a series called King, Not Who We Thought. And if you haven't been here the last couple of weeks, let me just catch you up real quick. The bottom line is that we all desire to be king of our lives. We want full control, full power, full freedom. We just want all of that until a situation flares up or an area of life flares up that is suddenly out of our control. And then what we do is we go looking for a king. And we all have different pictures of what that king looks like, but it really boils down to this. We want them to have the answers. We want them to have the right answers. We want to have the right answers right now. And so it doesn't matter if it's a person or if it's a thing, we go looking. And if we find something that fits that criteria, you know what we do? We say, look, whatever you're selling, I'll buy it. Whatever you want me to pay, I will pay that. Wherever you go, I will follow. Because if we see something or someone that looks like it has all the answers, then we jump at it. Case in point, two decades ago. Two decades ago, there's a company that was marketing a cold medicine and their marketing team decided to try an experiment. And so they created two commercials. One was going to show to about 10 million people in Britain, and then one was going to show to about 10 million people in the United States. So the one that showed in Britain was probably much closer to the reality of the effects of the cold medicine. It showed a guy taking it before he went to bed. He got up the next morning, and he stayed in his PJs all day, but he was able to do some things around the house. He was able to smile. He was able to get through it. Not so with the commercial that that showed in the United States. The one that showed in the United States, the guy took the cold medicine before bed, he sprung out of bed in the morning, ripped off his PJs, already had a suit on, he went to work, he was the life of the party with all of his coworkers, he got a promotion that same day, he got home, he went to the bowling alley, bowled a perfect game. Started the day feeling like a million dollars, ended the day feeling like a billion dollars. That cold medicine, sold nine times more in the United States than it did in Britain. Because that's how we're wired. When we see something that looks like it has all the answers or someone, we jump for it. The problem is, eventually, there's a letdown. You get this in the financial area of your life. You may, things may be tight right now, or you may remember a time when you were, when you were young and there was just no money. And your first thought is, well, I'll just go get a job. And so what happens? You go get the job and the paycheck's nice for a little bit. But after a while, you look around and you go, well, there's money, but there's no purpose. And we start looking around. We go, does this job mean anything? Does this, do I have any purpose in this job? Some people start at the other end of that spectrum. And they decide to start with purpose. But after a couple weeks, they go, oh, but where's the money? This is actually how my rap career started at age 16, all right? (laughs) Clearly, clearly. For you, it may not be financial. It may not be vocational or, or purpose. It may be relational. You've tried to make the relationships work. You've tried to make that happen, and it hasn't happened. I was reminded of this when I was a teenager. Listen, I'm just gonna say this. I broke a lot of hearts when I was a teenager, all right? And some of you just laughed a little too loud at that comment. And that's okay, because I said it wrong. I had my heart broken a lot as a teenager. And I remember one Sunday, I was down at uh, Southwest Plaza. My friends and I were walking through a department store before we came up to youth group up here. And they had this sample of this new cologne out. It's called Hugo by Hugo Boss. 
And so what do you think my friends and I did? It wasn't just one spritz or two spritz. I mean, it was just all over. I did the wrist thing. Do you guys even do that? Are guys, no? I did it. Anyway, got to youth group. I'm walking by these girls and they're like, Nathan, you smell good. So what did I spend $80 on a bottle of the next day? Yeah, that cologne. It was all my profits from my rap career. And, um, and all those fans that gave money, which was mom, dad, and the money I stole from my sister. So, um, and by the way, rap career is actually a synonym for lawn mowing career, but that's not important right now. But there was a letdown. There was a complete letdown because I bathed myself in this stuff for two weeks. And two weeks later, the same ladies who said, Nathan, you smell good. You know what they said? Ugh, I'm tired of that scent. I don't care if I never smell that again. And for many of us in here, we've come to that point where you look around at life and you realize you're not the king. And you've tried different things or, or maybe looked to different people and you realize they're not the king. And at some point, I know of many people in here who you finally hit a bottom point and said, Jesus, I want you to be king of my life. But as time goes on, there's this tension that comes up. Because we say, okay, Jesus, we're going to do things your way, and you're the king of my life, and then you get this situation in front of you. And you go, Jesus, I, I made you king of my life. And it, right now, it doesn't really look like you're king of my life because it doesn't look like your answers are the answer. And it looks difficult, and I don't, I don't get it. And regardless of the area of life, what happens is we all get to a point where we ask a question that if I'm not king like I thought, and if it or they aren't king, like I thought, and if Jesus, you're supposed to be king, well, what's going on in front of me? What do you do with what's in front of you? And so to answer that question, to answer that question, I want to actually look at the events of the week we're about to go through, Holy Week. It was the last week of Jesus' life here on earth, and I just believe that the events of that week really highlight the differences between how we operate and how Jesus actually operates and who we think Jesus is and who Jesus really is. Because as you walk through that week and as you look at the intersection of what we think and what people thought Jesus was and who he really was, you know what you do? You find an answer to that question. What do I do with what's in front of me? What do you do with what's in front of you? Now, to the Jewish people, just over 2,000 years ago, they lived, they, they had always known oppression. There were always other people, other nations that were ruling over them. And at that time, 2,000 years ago, it was the Romans. Rome ruled over them with an iron fist. And when they woke up in the morning, Rome was in control. And when they went to bed at night, Rome was in control. And every single day, nothing was changing. Sounds like a lot of our situations, doesn't it? And then Jesus came along. And as we've walked through the book of John, or skipped through it, I should say, the last few weeks, as you go through the book of John, what John does is he highlights these signs, these miracles that Jesus performed. And it said something about Jesus, but the people didn't pick up on that. The people picked up on the miracles. And the people were looking at all these miracles going, oh, that's what he's going to do for us. And in the process... They began to miss that this king was not who they thought. And so as a crowd is gathering, we pick up. We're in John chapter 12, 
And here's what John chapter 12, verse 12 says. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival, this is, this is Passover, had heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Now, this word blessed that, that they're chanting here, when you look at the original language, it's a different kind of blessing than we think. This kind of saying is to speak well of. And that's what we do, right? When we see something or someone that seems to have all the answers, we sing their praises. And, and we form a crowd and we follow them. Well, the verse continues and it says, um, it says that Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. And this would have been very puzzling for them because the way they operate is very similar to the way we operate. The way they operate and the way we operate is simply this, that we desire a king who will fix what's in front of us. They're staring at the Romans, and so they just want a king who's going to fix that. They're just looking at them all day long. And as Brian Burns just phenomenal job last week of really highlighting our human nature, we have things that we face, and the things we face, we form expectations and we form wants. And this is what they were wanting a king who would just fix what was in front of him. There were a series of letters that came out after Albert Einstein died, and the person who compiled all these letters started to see a pattern in all these letters, that Albert Einstein had some kind of crazy expectations for marriage. In fact, among those expectations were that every single day, his wife would have three warm meals prepared for him when he was ready that his desk would be perfectly cleared off and ready to work at at any time, that laundry was constantly ready to go, all of it, and that if he needed time to think, he could request at any moment that she stop talking and leave the room if he asked, and she would do it joyfully. Oh, buddy. Oh. I'm going to keep on moving. Okay. <laughs> But what happened was, in, in the most um, unsurprising sentence of that article, you know, it said, that marriage ended in divorce. And that's what we do. We divorce. When we get these expectations of who we think Jesus should be, we divorce ourselves from who he really is. And we actually divorce ourselves from the answer to the question, what do you do with what's in front of you? Now, to their surprise, we revisit. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written. Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. And they had to be thinking, a donkey? I mean, Rome has shown up with chariots and war horses and swords and bows. And Jesus, you're going to show up on a donkey? I mean, it's like Rome showed up in their leather jackets, ripped off sleeves, muscles, and Harleys. And as everybody's watching Jesus come around the corner, he's on a scooter, and he's like, I'm here. I made it. But what they didn't realize is that this was actually a sign of the kind of king that this was. Because the ancient kings, donkeys, were an animal of royalty. And donkeys were an animal that symbolized peace. And donkeys were also a servant animal. But they didn't see all that. But a group of men did. 
Verse 16, the disciples. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. And of course they didn't. Because they'd seen what? They'd been there for the miracles. They'd seen the water turned into wine. They'd seen the food multiplied. They'd seen the sick healed. They'd seen the blind given sight. They'd seen Jesus walk on water. And so they're looking at all this and they're thinking, isn't he going to use that miraculous power to deliver us from our Roman oppressors? And just a matter of days later, four days later, Jesus would move them toward understanding. Chapter 13, it says this, the evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. So Jesus is now at a dinner table with all of his disciples and what would be the last supper. Jesus knew that the father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Verse 7, Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later, later, you will understand. Let's take a look. your baby grow it seems like yesterday he was in her arms where did the time go he learned his father's trade as she marveled at it all the sweat dropped from her little carpenter as he made the timbers fall she can hear them driving nails upon the hillside And she prays that his spirit will not fail She watches as a young man undertakes his father's will As she stands and listens to the driving nails In the streets of Jerusalem, a child can disappear. She was frantic as she looked for him until she began to hear. Hammers up at the temple, she called him as she ran. Surprised, she found him teaching like no ordinary man. 
She can hear the driver nails fall the hillside. And she prays that his spirit will not fail. She watches as a young man undertakes his father's will. As she stands and listens to the driving Darkness covered all the land in the middle of the day. She began to tremble as the earth began to quake. Hammers, nails, and timbers of the carpenter's trade made the sound that pierced her soul as the cross was being raised. She can hear the driving nails upon the hillside, and she prays that his spirit will not fail. She watches as a young man undertakes his father's as she stands and listens to the driving nails and she cries and listens to the driving You ever think about who was sitting around that table? Because this all kind of seems like a letdown. When you look at what the crowds were chanting and what the crowds were expecting on Palm Sunday, well, that Last Supper seems like a letdown until you start to think about the people that were sitting around that table. And I bring that up because these are people you know. And these are people you have in your life and people I have in my life. And a lot of times, I think the way we deal with the people in our life is we think what the crowd thought. I, I just want to fix what's in front of me. I want to fix what's in front of me. But if you look at who was sitting at that table and you consider what Jesus did for them in that moment, you begin to get an answer to the question, what do you do with what's in front of you? I mean, think about it. Judas was sitting at that table. You know Judas. I mean, Judas kept the money for them, but Judas is most known for being the betrayer. And you've got a Judas in your life. We can all think of a face that we've been betrayed by, right? And in our thinking, that just to fix them, we think, well, they need to be punished. But if you pay attention to Judas' story, they're already punishing themselves enough. 
Simon Peter was sitting around that table. And Simon Peter was outspoken. He could be impulsive. He could be brash. He was always pushing himself to the front. And you have a Simon Peter in your life, don't you? That outspoken person that it just, they want you to think they have all the answers. And you, you just think, if I could just fix you a little bit, if you would just put as much energy into your living as you do your talking, you'd be all right. But that probably wouldn't fix them. James and John, the two brothers, remember they were sitting at the table. Remember James and John? They were the two that were full of passion. They were full of zeal, full of ambition. And what did they want? Well, they wanted to be the greatest. They wanted position and they wanted status. And so they were always jockeying for who's the greatest? How do I become the greatest? And you've got a James and a John in your life. There are those people that compare. They compare you, they compare themselves, they're constantly comparing. And we think if I could just fix you, if you would just exercise a little restraint, you'd be all right to be around. Matthew was sitting at that table. Remember Matthew? Tax collector. Tax collectors were not thought highly of at all. They made a dishonest living. And we think, gosh, I, I can think of people like that in my life. And we think they should have to pay everything back. And that would fix them. And that would teach them a lesson. Simon the Zealot. He sat around that table. Remember Simon the Zealot? Simon the Zealot was the one who, he was this Jewish nationalist. And he took up a cause and he was passionate. And he bitterly opposed anybody who saw differently. Do you have some Simon the Zealots in your life? We all do. It, it might be that person who sits on the other side of the political aisle from you, who represents a cause that you just can't get behind because you don't see how God could actually be behind that. And we think, well, I can fix them if I just argue them over to my side. That would fix them and that would teach them a lesson. But that wouldn't fix them. Thomas sat around that table. You've heard the phrase, Doubting Thomas, and that's the label he gets. And you have doubting Thomases in your life. You might think of them as Eeyores because it's just like, can you ever be positive? It's just negative. And they would call themselves a realist. And you would say, no, you're a pessimist. If you would just take a positive mindset and be positive, then that would fix everything. Now, there was Andrew. Andrew sat around that table. Andrew, one of the first followers of Jesus, but not in the inner circle of Jesus. You have Andrews in your life, and I have Andrews in my life. They're those people that maybe aren't quite your inner circle. Parents, maybe it's an adult child that you just long to be a little bit closer than they are. And you just think, if I could just pull them in, if I could just force them in, that would fix everything. But that wouldn't fix everything. Philip. Philip sat around that table. And Philip was constantly, he was a detail guy. When they were looking at the crowd and trying to figure out how much food they needed, Philip looked at everything and he went, well, 200 denarii. 200 denarii would not feed. It would not buy enough food to feed this crowd. And you have Philips in your life because they're the detail people. And you look at them and you think, would you not sweat the small stuff? Just ease up, let go. There was also, well, there's also Nathaniel. 
or Bartholomew. You have them in your life as well. Nathaniel was known as an honest man, but he came across a bit skeptical. He was a skeptic. And you look at him, and you've got the Nathaniels in your life that you just think, could you just, could you look a little deeper? Could you not judge a book by its cover? Because that would really go a long way to helping you, to helping you out. There was another one there, Jude, or another, another one named Judas, also known as, known as Thaddeus. And we don't know much about him, but we know on this last night, he looked at Jesus and said, Jesus, why don't you reveal yourself to the world in power? We think you should do that. And you've got them in your life. That probably represents all of us. That if, that if they could just come around to my way of doing things, things would be fixed. And there was another at that table, James, another James, James the lesser, or James the younger. And we really don't know anything or much at all of James the younger. And that might be the point for all of us. Because you've got people in your life that you come across them, you pass them in the supermarket, you see them places, and they're a familiar face, and that's it. We don't know much more about them, and we just think, well, if they would just be more fill-in-the-blank, then they'd be all right, and maybe we'd spend more time together. See, there are a lot of different people sitting at that table, and in our way of thinking, in the way we operate, we think, if I could just fix the person in front of me, then everything would be all right. And yet I know there are some in here that for many of you, it's not so much that those, those disciples represent the other people in your life. It's that you look in the mirror and you see that in you. And you get up every single morning and you look in the mirror and you go, if I could just fix, if I could just fix, if I could just do more of this and less of this, then I'd be all right. Then I'd be okay. But that's not what Jesus did around that table. Jesus had a different message because Jesus has a different way of operating. Because this king is not who they thought, and he's not who we thought. This is a king. As much as we want him to fix what's in front of us, he stepped off his throne to get beside us. There is a, uh, an author of many leadership books named Ronald Heifetz, and Ronald Heifetz says this. He says, you could go to a mechanic, and they could fix all the technical issues wrong with your car, and that'd be all right. They'd be an okay mechanic. But the kind of mechanic you really want is one, well, maybe like what Jesus was. You want one who can sit down beside you and actually have a conversation with you and guide you about the way the car is being driven. And they can inform and guide and lead the way the car is being driven. See, that's the kind of king this was. He didn't come with the express purpose of fix what's in front of us. He stepped off his throne to fix what's inside of us. And with that in mind, with that in mind, what he did around that table became a picture of exactly what he did to fix what's inside of us. Let's step through this because there is so much symbolism here. Look at this, John chapter 13, verse 2. Excuse me, verse 3. Jesus knew, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things, 
all things under his power. That sounds like a king to me. He realizes in this moment he has all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal. Do we realize what that meant? Jesus got up from what was comfortable. He left his heavenly dwelling. He got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing. This would have been a sign of his authority, his rabbinic authority. He removed his authority, he set it aside, and wrapped a towel around his waist. Not only has he set aside his authority, now he takes on the nature and the posture of a servant. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet. Not fix them, but serve them drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. This is, this is so incredible to me because what this really is, the reason they didn't understand and the reason he said to Peter next, you do not understand what I'm doing for you, is because they wouldn't get a picture of the big picture of what he was doing and we don't get a picture until the next day when he went to the cross in the ultimate act of service on our behalf and gave his life as a ransom. He finishes washing their feet, and we pick up in verse 12 of chapter 13. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. He went from the highest to the lowest, back to the highest. He returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Did you know? Did you know you're a messenger? This is Jesus saying, what I've just done for you, that is a picture to help your understanding, maybe not right now, disciples, but at some point to help you understand the big picture of what I've done for you. And when you turn and do this for others, you become a messenger. When you do this for them, you communicate what I've done in giving my life for them as well. Because Jesus understood something and Jesus operated differently. Jesus understood that the throne of a person's heart is prepared with a towel at their feet. The throne of a person's heart is, is always prepared with a towel at their feet. You talk to people who have a testimony of how they came to Jesus and you start going through their backstory and there was one of Jesus' followers at their feet with a towel every single time. And so West Bulls, we've got this really, really incredible opportunity next Sunday. Because next Sunday on Easter, you know who's coming through those doors? Judas. Judas will come through those doors. 
Simon Peter will come through those doors. James, John, Matthew, Simon the Zealot, Thomas with all his doubts, Andrew, Philip, Nathaniel, Jude, and James the Lesser. They're all going to walk through these doors. And we have an opportunity to become messengers of the gospel, of the good news of Jesus Christ, that he stepped out of his heavenly dwelling, that he came to this earth, took on the nature of a servant, and gave his life as a ransom to redeem us from sin. And then he rose from the dead, and he went back to his place. That is really good news, because if I think I've got to fix the people in front of me, that's really bad news. It's bad news for them, and it's bad news for me. Jesus said, but when you bring a towel to somebody's feet, that's good news. And that's a picture of good news. And when you get to be part of that, verse 17 becomes very true. What does verse 17 say? Now that you know these things, you will be, what's that word? Blessed. You will be blessed if you do them. Do you want to be blessed? No, Nathan, I don't want to be blessed. Yes, we all want to be blessed. You want to be blessed? This isn't the kind of blessed that the crowds were chanting on Palm Sunday, where they spoke well of. This is a different kind of blessed. This is a fortunate blessed. This is the kind of blessed that gets to be used by God to touch somebody else's life and open their eyes to what Jesus did for them. This is the kind of blessed that this church is about. This is the kind of blessed that comes from connecting people with Jesus. So do you want to be blessed? Carry a towel around with you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are a God who in the midst of all the things we think you are or thought you were, that you just, you are constantly there at our feet. And the reminder of that is at the Last Supper, but even more prevalent, it's at the cross. And so we thank you for the reminder that you had such a heart for us that you sent your son to wash our feet and then at the cross, wash our souls and clean us in your sight. And so this next week, let us see with new eyes who you are. Let us see with new eyes the people around us. And let us see that it is not up to us to fix or adjust or straighten anybody out. It is simply to serve and in doing so become messengers. And Lord, encourage us. Encourage us in those moments that you prepare the throne of people's hearts when we bring towels to their feet. Write that on our hearts this week. In Jesus' name, amen.